So you've spent all this time writing your paper. So now it's time to write your paper. Uh, wait, what? Don't worry, we'll hammer it all out today on Surviving Seminary. Hello, this is Surviving Seminary. My name is Kevin Sutherland, and I'm with my co-host, Jason Stark. Hey. And we are going to try to put the final touches on our writing suite. We're going to put a bow on it. And then we're going to... Put a ring on it. Yeah. And we're going to put a finishing touch on this entire podcast. Uh, This may be our last one. It may be our second to last with a goodbye tribute where we have a slideshow that nobody can see of all of our greatest moments and best hits. Inspirational music. (laughs) Right. Yes. So the first thing I want to do is I want to put a big disclaimer on this, uh, is that we're going to be talking about structure and style on how to write your actual paper. Now that we've kind of crafted our arguments, so now we need to write them. But the biggest thing we need to know is you need to consult the style guides for your field. And then you need to read examples from your field to know the kinds of reasons, evidence, acknowledgements, and warrants that are needed and the best way to write them, especially like elements of style. Like in some fields, it's perfectly okay to say, I believe this, or I understand this, or when I looked at this or whatnot. In other fields, they want you to present your information as objective as possible. So those are the kinds of things that you need to really understand your field and take what we're going to try to say in a general form and try to particularize in whatever way you need. Right, because as we've been talking about a lot in this suite of episodes, when you're writing, you're writing for a particular audience, you're writing for a particular community, and you're entering into a conversation that exists in a particular community. So it's not about trying to just conform for the sake of conforming. I think maybe at the beginning mm-hmm. of my research uh, path, I was kind of like, well, why do I have to need write like everybody else? I just feel like I have to copy everybody else so that I'm like everybody else. And it's like, no, it's not quite like that. Right. We need to establish common ground, like we talked about in the last episode. And part of establishing that common ground is operating along the same general kinds of parameters that other people in the field operate with so that we can be as clear as possible. Yeah. I mean, I actually read about a month or so ago, just some studies that were done that the most persuasive arguments and not just talking about paper arguments, but real life arguments with your spouse or with your coworker or whatnot, the most persuasive people are the people that are able to find a commonality and a common ground to say, I understand that you you do this and I'm going to talk to you in this way and I'm going to meet you in the form that you're expecting. So that's what a lot of this is all about. And before we get into structure of of what the structure of a paper is going to look like, we also need to put it out there that you need to think about how you want to deliver your argument. Like what's your main mode going to be? Like what's the what's the the basis of that structure going to be like? Is it going to be logical in its orientation? Like you go from logical point one to point two. Uh, Are you going to go from your best evidence? Like you're going to, 
head out of the gate with your with your best ammunition that you have mm-hmm. and then after that then you can put in the evidence that's not so great so you can like front load it or are you going to do it the other way around like there are lots of different possibilities here you could go along a chronological sort of orientation of here's how the research in this field has gone um or it could just be uh, a, an otherwise topical sort of means. There are lots of different ways to do it, but you kind of have to set that that orientation first. Yeah, and so the craft of research, which we've been hitting at throughout this, uh, has some pitfalls that they think you should really avoid when you're thinking about this. Um, one is a narrative of your thinking. Uh, very few people are going to be interested in learning what you learned first and then what you learned second and then what you learned third. You, you can't just structure your paper with this at this point in the writing process. I thought about this and oh, yeah. And right after this, I thought about that. Uh, so don't give us a narrative of how you came across it. Um, also, be careful of using your sources in chunks where you're You know, one part of the paper, you're talking just from this one source. And then the next paragraph, you're going to talk about just this source because the odds are they overlap and maybe I'll talk about the same thing. So unless you're maybe doing a uh, literature review where you're trying to show that you're familiar with the development and the contribution of all these different uh, scholarly works, then it's not really helpful to just do one paragraph on book X and then do another paragraph on article Z and then do another paragraph on this dissertation Y, um, but instead trying to mesh those together. And then the last pitfall is doing a map of your assignment. So especially if you're being assigned a paper, you don't want to, if they say, give me this and then give me this and then do this in your paper. It's not really well written. If you follow that exactly to the letter, um, you need to figure out what works best. And, um, you know, maybe there's parts of it you follow in an order and then parts of it, you realize you can put in the same paragraph playing off each other or whatnot. And so with those caveats, we will dive into the whole aspect of structure of a paper. Up until now, we've been talking about what the structure is like conceptually. What are your claims? Uh, what is your What are your reasons for those claims? What's your evidence? What are the, some of the surrounding points kind of orbiting around those things? But ultimately, you need to then start plotting that out in the actual paper and and getting to the structure of how it'll look. And the biggest, most important thing you can do: make an outline. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're thinking about this in terms of like the analogy of like a skeleton, the outline is your skeleton because if you can establish it from the beginning, then you'll be setting up a, a good framework uh, for everything that that goes in of your claims and your evidence and your and your reasons, and that's all like the meat that's going onto the bones, basically. Yeah. So thinking about that body analogy, you don't want to, you want to have all of your aspects of each part in the right part. So if we're going to go with a body analogy, I don't really want my eye cells down here at the tips of my fingers. And so the analogy to that is making sure that your claims, your reasons, your evidence, uh, all of your acknowledgements to a particular reason or evidence and any warrants that may need to be are all together in that one aspect. So if I'm building this arm out here, I don't want to have the, the reason 
that comes from my leg uh, sticking in my arm over here. If I want to make sure. It's Kevin, out. if everything were a leg, where would the sense of hand be? Wait, this is this is not quite how it goes, is it? No. This is very Pauline. Yes. Right? yes. I don't mean my friend Pauline. I mean, like, it's like Paul. <laughs> and now I've interrupted what you were saying, so I can't just, like, ask you to start over somewhere either. No, it's, it's all good. So long story short, keep all of... The, the evidence, warrants, or any acknowledgments that relate to the reason in the same paragraph or uh, section, or if you're doing like a dissertation or a book, the same chapter, you want it all right in one spot so that it can kind of all be wrapped up together. Um, and then you just want to keep continuing that way. So now we're done working on our arm, if we can continue that metaphor, and now we're going to start working on our left leg uh, or whatnot, then you're going to build out all of that. Uh, then you're going to do your next one and next one until you finally got everything out. And then you're going to actually write introductions and conclusions to each of those parts. This is where you're going to make your transitions and your seams uh, not so apparent. Like, so maybe you're going to, there's something about your argument that you can say, and we're going to talk about how that relates to this part in this part. So maybe, you know, if we continue the body metaphor, if I'm finally getting up to the shoulder, I can say, and the shoulder is where I attach to the torso. So now we're about to start talking about the torso. And then my argument just kind of continues to flow down there. If we keep going it's and getting weirder and weirder, killing, killing this body argument to death <laughs> or the analogy as the case may be. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, when you, when you get the sections themselves done, that's probably the best time to write the introductions and conclusions to them. And that is because you want to, like Kevin said, you want to make sure that the seams from one section of the paper to the next are smooth. You know, you've already got your claims and your reasons laid out in your mind or on paper, and you want to make sure that those sections, um, sync up and flow nicely from one to the next. But also, I would say that it's also important to have your introductions and conclusions to those sections last, mainly because you need for those introductions and conclusions to actually be as best informed by that particular section as it can be. If you try writing the introduction to something first, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of writing out that section, and you realize something has to change, then you got to go back and change things. It's like, get the get the whole body of that section done, and then you can actually say, hey, here's a good way to introduce this, because I know exactly what it is that I want to say in it. And the same for the conclusion. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that you're not there is still going to be change that happens while you're writing out your actual paper from when you've already plotted it out. And even if you're super organized and you've done your research, sometimes just the act of writing it is going to spark ideas in you, or maybe you're going to realize, wait, this doesn't work as well as I thought it would. So you don't want to have all those transitions and introductions and conclusions set because it may be there, or you may think I'm going to talk about something so you put in all that information, and like I said, something maybe as you're writing, you realize, I really need to put this in another section, or maybe I need to just drop this aspect. Well, now not only can you not drop that aspect, you well, you, you have to drop the aspect, but then you have to go back and edit your introduction and conclusion sentences to each of those sections. Uh, 
But the same thing goes on the macro scale. You have to have your body all put together before you can start your actual introduction and conclusion. I know people that will start at the introduction and go all the way and do the conclusion, but those people typically have to then go back and rewrite their introduction quite a bit and rewrite their conclusion because, again, the more prepared you are, obviously the less change is going to happen when you write, but it just is kind of a fact that as you're writing your ideas will begin to sharpen and you're going to realize that maybe I need to adjust this or maybe I have an even better example that I didn't even mention in the introduction that now I need to go and add that into the introduction or whatnot. The image that's in my mind is that of like rolling out a carpet, like a big, long red carpet mm-hmm. that is the the platform for your wonderful paper to walk down the red carpet into stardom uh, because it's that great. But anyway, like if you're rolling out the carpet and you just do it super fast and you just do it all in one go, you're probably going to end up having a bunch of wrinkles and mm-hmm. and imperfections to that nice straight line that you want to have of it laid out across the floor. And so then you have to go back and you have to kind of like start smoothing it out. Yeah. And obviously there's going to be some smoothing out that you have to be uh, doing in the revising process and in the proofreading process and all of that, but you don't want to make any more extra work for yourself than you absolutely have to. We mm-hmm. don't really have the time. And so this takes practice, obviously, but you want to try to build the constituent parts first. I, at least I think that's the the wisest yeah. approach. Uh, and then do all the connecting work in a way that will be as efficient as possible. Yeah. And so now that we've talked about why you need to do that last, and we're at the point where you need to write an introduction uh, and a conclusion, I would actually say you write the conclusion right after you write your body because it's all fresh, and then write your in- introduction. So in some sense, it's all kinds of backwards from what the way people are actually going to read this. Because... By the time you've hit your conclusion, all of the argument is now flowing in your brain, especially if it's not too long of a paper. Um, And you can try to wrap it all up and tie all of those different pieces together, cinch that argument down, make it beautiful. And then you can come into your introduction and then really wham us with why we need to read this paper. And so that's what you want to do when you get your introduction is you want to grab their attention and you want to say, this is a real problem that we have to deal with in this paper. And I am going to show you how we fix it. When you do that, you grab their attention, you tell them what the problem is, you tell them how you're going to fix it. Um, Again, the more you can show that it's a bad problem, that's the more significant your argument is going to try to be. Um, And then when you give them at the end, you're supposed to then either tell them your thesis, which we talked about how to make a thesis on that, or you can give them an overview of the argument and make them read all the way to the end for the thesis. I particularly don't like that because I like to know where the argument's going so I can judge how well this body is fixing together. If I'm going to use that analogy again, yeah. again, you got to orient people. Yeah. They've got to know what you're trying to say. I just, I can't really, maybe it's just because I've been so used to having the thesis be pretty soon after the beginning of the paper. Like I can't really fathom how to do that very well, having it at the end and really making that work. 
Yeah. The one thing I, I did not like this when I first started uh, reading the craft of research, I wanted to be one of those that had my zinger, my argument and everything at the end is just like, I've finally just beaten you to a pulp. And now I'm just going to lay my haymaker into you to use a boxing metaphor and knock you out with this. But I'm realizing, I've been realizing ever since I read it, it's like this is not the best way to win people over because you they need to be able to see where you're going before they get there. Otherwise, you know, it's kind of like taking your kids on a trip and you don't tell them where you're going. And maybe you're going to go to someplace fun that they'd want to be, but the entire time they're just like, are we there yet? Like, where is this going to be okay? Or this fun? And you're going to surprise them and say, Disney World! Or, no, no, we're not getting supported by Disney at all. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, I think we'd be continuing the podcast yes, if we were. We would still be going strong. But if if they know, hey, at the end of this road, we're going to have some awesome good stuff going they're going to be a lot more content to continue on the road with you the way you want this kind of reminds me of like the genre of a book you know you want to know what kind of book you're reading when you get into it yeah at least most people do i mean if you're reading a cozy mystery you want to understand right from the get-go that this is a cozy mystery because Mm -hmm. there are certain parameters that a cozy mystery sticks to and you know what to expect, especially in the case of a cozy mystery because people want to be guessing who done it and and how they done it and all those things. Um, And then, you know, it seems like a cozy mystery as you're reading through it, but then all of a sudden it turns out it's like like an earth sciences textbook. You're like, where did this... (laughs) What? Where did that come from? Yes. So... I'd say that it's really important for the sake of your readers to to lay it out there, what kind of paper this is, what kind of argument this is, and don't um, don't leave people hanging. Yeah. I mean, there are certain fields where you have to do that. So again, you may be in one of those fields where they expect you to tell us at the end what the actual conclusion of your argument is, um, and that's where you say the thesis. Um, but those are... I think that's an artificial device because of modernism and wanting to seem like this is objective truth instead of realizing that this is my attempt at making sense of all of this. And so being more upfront, I just feel like builds that ethos a little bit better to where your audience is going to be more willing to go along with you if they know this is where I'm going to eventually head up and then they can judge how well do, do these reasons and evidence and acknowledgments and warrants support this thesis that he's telling me about? Yeah, you never know. I mean, really, the more surprises that you lay on people in the course of things without having prepared them for it, it might actually make them less inclined to go along with you. Mm-hmm. Even if when you get down to it, the point that you're raising is valid. Yeah. If you don't prepare people, then they might just kind of be put off by that and just kind of discount you for reasons other than the logic of what you're saying. Yeah. And in those kinds of papers, you know, those tend, like I said, to annoy me personally when I get those papers. But when I get a paper like that, I'm going to go to the end and read the conclusion at the beginning of my reading process. Before we wrap things up, though, another major element of when you're writing is style. Um, so a key thing you're going to want to do in your introduction or in the first parts of each paragraph is you're going to want to make sure your terms are clearly understood, uh, personally. And again, it's field specific, but I don't like a whole lot of jargon. Whenever I'm 
the more you're making your reader try to figure out and make sure that they understand what eschatological versus pneumatological versus soteriological and all this that they're getting at. Now, yeah, if I'm speaking to experts, they may expect me to say those things, but the more I'm making you think and stop and go, what does that word mean? The less likely you are to pick up the paper and keep reading if you keep going, okay, now I have, this is the fifth time I've had to go to this dictionary to see what they're talking about. My, my worst for this when someone does this. I know that being in a PhD program, I mean, I had to take tests to prove that I could competently translate from one language into another had to take tests for German and for French to make sure that you could translate an article if you had to. Mm-hmm. But when I'm reading along in someone's work and I'm going along with them, and then all of a sudden they'll say, and as so-and-so from Germany says, quote in German. Yes. What do you think about that, reader? Yeah. And I'm like, um, I don't know, because <laughs> I need to now pull out my German dictionary and and right. go to town on this. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how well I'll do in spite of the fact that I passed, thankfully. Yeah, and well, and not only do you not know how you, you're going to do, but you don't know how much it's going to be worth it for you to put in yeah. that effort. You're, am I going to get some super well-defined nugget from reading the German that I wouldn't have gotten from a translation or whatnot? It is a big pain. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's like, for me, that is like the like quintessential jargon issues. Yes. It's like... And not even in the footnote. They didn't even give you a footnote with the translation. They're just like, here, have fun with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my own particular mode of operating would be to give you a translation and then footnote with the actual German. So if you wanted to fight me on the German, there it is. Uh, But otherwise, just keep it simple. I feel like, and you know, this is kind of a judgment of people, but you know, I think people that are writing articles, especially younger, unestablished scholars, are trying to pre- project this image of I am a very well informed person, and they end up making it harder to read their paper. Irony. Yes, very ironic. The next thing, this going back to this analogy of being trim and muscular in your paper, is you want to be concise and explicit. Uh, the more concise you are, the fewer words you can use without uh, losing that explicitness and that understandability, the better off it's going to be. And this can be sometimes made easier by your professor, because I think different professors have different strategies for how they assign the paper. Some professors will say a maximum of so many thousand words, including footnotes, but not including your bibliography. And they'll give you a cap because basically they don't have a lot of time on their hands either, just like you don't. And so they're going to give you a maximum amount of words that you can put in there. Some other professors will say like this many pages Mm-hmm. And and that's a different story. And some people will say a minimum of this many words. I prefer the first of those three, basically. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes a second one of a, a certain page number can be can be uh, okay too. But like it is really important, like how concise you're going to be in the sentences and the sentence structure of what you're writing. Like if you can say like despite versus saying in spite of yes. or saying um in regard to 
uh, versus shortening that and just saying regarding. Mm-hmm. And these are little tiny examples. Like, you know, they probably don't have much of anything to to do for the structure of your argument, but they can really make a difference if you have a bunch of these little phrases that could be boiled down from five words down to two words or something like that. It will make it leaner and easier for your readers because you're not taking them verbally along all these meandering paths and you're taking them right where they need to go. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things why a lot of, uh, you know, publishers and scholars will tell you don't use the act or the passive voice very much instead use active because one, uh, you have to use at least two verbs to the one if you're going to make something a passive verb. If I say I hit versus I was hit. And then you're going to have to make people find whoever the person that did the hitting or the thing that did the hitting is now going to be stuck in some prepositional phrase over here. Whereas they could just rewrite the whole sentence backwards and say the ball hit Kevin rather than Kevin was hit by the ball. Of course, if that's what's in your paper, then you might have to talk to someone else about it, like go to the authorities or something, rather than turn it into your professor. Right. But right. At, at regardless, <laughs> that also ties into the fact that you that you just need to make sure that this paper is going to flow well. Um, one way that you can do this, this is also something that I recommend in even down to the proofreading stage, read it aloud. Mm-hmm. Find a place where you're not going to be too embarrassed by the sound of you reading your own paper or something like that, and just read it quietly to yourself out loud so that you can hear what it sounds like. Sometimes you will come across a sentence or a paragraph and realize this is not working at all uh, because you're engaging more than one sense than just your eyes and your your combining senses, and that can give you different uh, different thoughts about what needs to change potentially. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but especially, you know, if you're reading it out loud, an even better step is to make someone else listen to you read it out loud, or at least read the paper, because we get really blind to the weaknesses of our paper because we see it all the time. It made sense to us when we were writing it. I don't need to go back and look that over, but I just find that that ends up, you know, we we get really, uh, it's it's kind of like, Uh, I used to work at a a retail store and every day we would pass by maybe some problem and you get blind to the problem and you didn't see it anymore. And then somebody new comes in and they're like, so why is this like this? And then you're like, oh, well, uh, I've never really seen that because it's just always been there. And part of that, though, is even if you can't get someone else, uh, you need to read and reread it and just ask yourself, if I had never seen this before, does this make sense? And uh, you need to mark your edits. And I like to use a red pen, an actual red pen on a hard copy, because you can see things there and it's a little bit more palpable uh, than it is on a computer where with the computer, your your mind is automatically handicapping itself because it's like, well, spell check will catch that and all that. Even though you may know that spell check doesn't catch everything, just having it on the computer there will kind of trick your mind into going, I don't really need to look for typos and where I use the wrong form of a, a legitimate word for something else. Um, so pulling it out in hard copy kind of takes that crutch off of you. And really when you're marking it there, it just really makes it clear that I, and I like to mark it up. I, I mean, when I have my whole 
paper every time I edit it and I've printed it out, I get a red crayon or a red pencil and I just sit there and mark it up. And then when I'm done and I fixed all those edits, I wrinkle it up, tear it up, throw that paper away. And then when I've done it all, I'll go do it again and just keep on refining and rereading and checking for things. And so I want to return back to the image of the pyramid that we brought out at the very beginning of this suite. All this, ironically, this is one of the longer episodes in this suite that we've done, and we've been talking about conciseness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, another reason it's ironic is that we've been talking a lot about style, writing style, structure to your paper, kind of putting it all into its finished form, where ultimately, if you have done the hard work of getting a well-defined and narrow thesis, and you have done the work of getting your claims and your reasons and your evidence worked out, then hopefully the writing process should not take as long as it might otherwise. This is like the top of the pyramid where the paper in its finished form is obviously what your reader is going to see. It is the most prominent aspect as far as the attention that it will get. And yet, the material underneath it um, is the material that's probably going to take the longest amount of time, and it's going to provide the big foundation for what you're doing here. So even though we've spent a lot of time talking about this, we don't want to allow this to substitute for the really hard work that has to go into a research paper that we've been talking about now for for several weeks. But um, ideally, you know, you've finished your your paper, you've got it all laid out, you've read it a bunch of times, and you have revised and made it more concise. You've proofread it for any errors in spelling and grammar, and you've got it printed off, and it's fully put into the style that it needs to be, like, or for your citations and everything. You can put a staple on it and slide it under your professor's door. And then you can, here's the other thing, though, is like, as soon as you do that, you'll probably try to claw it back out of there because you remembered, oh, wait, no, I needed to say it this way. Right. I needed to put this into the paper that I forgot all about. And I, I that's a common experience for me. But you have to realize that your paper comes to an end yes. at some point. Yes. There's a, a comic strip that I like to read sometimes. It's called PhD Comics that stands for Piled Higher and Deeper. But they have one comic, it's just two buttons, and one says submit, and then the other one says say submit, but wait 20 minutes until I make sure I actually want to submit before you submit. It's hard because you could always say more. Yeah. This paper is not, um, it does not represent the totality of the conversation that you're participating in. You could always say more, and you would absolutely exhaust yourself Mm -hmm. in saying more. We feel like we have to say so much, and we have to remember every little important detail because we have stuff riding on this. We have a grade riding on it. We have a path forward as a researcher that that, that we have somewhat riding on it. The question is, you know, how much is really, really riding on it? Right. You can keep the paper as a file on your computer and pull it out later and and tweak that thing that you missed or that you got a little bit wrong. You have to keep it in perspective here that that 
because we turn in the paper, it feels like it's the end, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. it's not the end of your academic um, endeavors. Obviously, it's really just um, it's you. You have to keep things in perspective. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that when you're at the stage that Jason and I are, the dissertation can suddenly feel like this, and it's been a common misconception. People have this that this is your magnum opus, your great work that you have to make it done, and a lot of people don't get it done because. They can't. They feel like they can't reach that level of perfection. Well, that's the problem. We're not trying to make perfection. In fact, the dissertation, if you're, is your entree into the world of being an independent researcher. This is your first step. It should not be your best step that you'll ever take. And so, just trust that even if you don't say everything that you could have said, uh, that you did a good job. And good is sometimes better than perfect. Yeah. Or if you. You know, if you find that you got marked down for something, it's not the end of the world. You can go ahead and go back to your file and correct it. Maybe you can take this paper out at some point and use it for something later down the road. You know, again, this is not, um, we feel so much pressure upon ourselves sometimes because of all these different factors. We just have to keep it in perspective that that life is going to go on past this wonderful paper that you've worked so hard on for these last couple months. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of it for our writing suite. We hope that it's been beneficial to you. Um, we've come beyond the end of a semester, so if you were listening to this, hoping to get all the advice out of this that you could before the semester ended and you had to turn in that research paper, we're sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, but at the same time, we want this to be here in the podcast feed for the future. So next time you got that research paper coming up, maybe you have a summer course right now because mm-hmm. it's uh, June the 13th while we're recording this. And we we hope that if you want to come back to it, that you can find some value in it for whatever step of the research paper process that you're in the midst of. You can head to our website, which is survivingseminary2019.podbean.com. And there you can get uh, a look at all of our episodes. You can also head to our Facebook page and uh, say hello to us. We would love to hear from you. And so for now, I'm Jason. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you next time.